What's up, and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your Emmy check-in this week, um, as well as everything else that's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen with my co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, you watched the whole Emmy show last night, is that right? You do it for the content, my man. You gotta know what you're talking about. Yes, I did. Three hours, like nothing. Yeah, um, yeah I watched all the Emmys, and it was... Uh, well, it's a predictable night, but we'll get to that. Uh, I'm impressed because uh, I, I was just flipping back and forth. I caught maybe in total like a half hour of it. Um, I saw. I actually ended up seeing a lot of the bigger awards things at the end of the night. That's when I started tuning in more. Um, but I'm excited to talk about the winners because I think there's some cool stuff. But before we jump in, hit that subscribe if you're watching on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. If you're on SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, where you can listen to the podcast anywhere you want to, I would say go to iTunes uh, and subscribe there. Give us a five-star rating and review. Um, and follow the podcast anywhere else that you want to, including Twitter at NostalgiaPod. So Dave, just give me your overall feeling on the the Emmys last night. I mean, did you like the show? The, obviously, it was socially distanced. People were in their homes or at venues. Jimmy Kimmel was doing it from a remote site. It was a very COVID award show. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I thought, I thought actually, given the circumstances, it went pretty well. It was pretty enjoyable and offensive, uh, and probably would have been duller had it not be for like the the quirks that are doing a live event in 2020. Um, you know, there's some some choices that they made. I think the most uh, notable one would be that they did all the comedy awards, then all the limited series awards, then all the drama awards. Basically, each hour was dedicated to that that section, and that that's quite noticeable when only one comedy wins for the first hour of the show. <laughs> of course, Shit's Creek getting seven wins on the broadcast, the first series to do the thus that, and the first comedy to sweep all the acting awards. We thought. Shit's Creek would have a big night, but to have that dominating type of night was still quite unexpected. And, you know, it's a popular show, but you also could see some, as the internet is wont to do, when something gets that much praise, uh, things start to turn. And, you know, obviously that's uh, not what you want either, but it's the first uh, family sitcom to win Best Comedy since 2014, which is the last time Modern Family won. Mm -hmm. So kind of reminiscent of that, I guess. Dan Levy was actually very aware of that too. I think he said we're uh, we're about one more award away from the entire internet turning on us at one point. So he was aware of uh, yeah. <laughs> the reception of it all. Um, yeah, I was watching my my Patriots on Sunday Night Football for a majority of the time, but for that that first hour, every time I clicked over, it was just Eugene Levy, Dan Levy, uh, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy. Uh, in some order, talking and uh, you know sharing how wonderful Shit's Creek was as an experience for them, and honestly, good for them. You know, it's a very beloved show. Nice to see them uh, get recognized, mm. and, and especially now that the show's over, um, yeah, exactly. I, um, first time being recognized too at the end. It's it's nice to see that. So I don't really have to make qualms with that, and that was that was kind of what we expected that. It could go that way. But what, what other awards or moments stood out to you from the show? Yeah, so, you know, in light of not having a lot of celebrities on hand to do any kind of bits or um, having the announcers have some kind of scripted thing, you know, uh, in its place, there was some pre-recorded stuff with, like, essential workers, which I thought was actually pretty cool. You know, like, it was farmers and 
postal workers and uh, other people as well, just, you know, ra random normal people. And they kind of announced and introduced some awards. And uh, in general, there was, I think there was some, actually, it came across as genuine, some like highlighting of other things beyond TV. And Jimmy came up and was upfront about that in his monologue about how the Emmys are frivolous and unimportant and have not, nothing really to do with what's going on right now. And, um, you know, I think setting that expectation was, was nice. And I thought Kimmel's uh, opening monologue was pretty good because it, uh, I think, reads the room correctly. Mm -hmm. But then at that point, you know, he's just kind of shepherding things through uh, as, he, as he usually do with something like the Emmys, especially when, again, there's, there's less time for that kind of banter. I think the, the one moment that stands out, probably two of them actually in the beginning, were when Jason Bateman was actually there uh, standing in with the cardboard cutouts his physical person that was pretty funny and then jennifer aniston also is there uh using a fire extinguisher to put out uh a disinfected envelope that jimmy disinfected via flame and it <laughs> continued to burn i think longer than they planned so she had to douse it like three times so that was pretty funny <laughs> but yeah i mean other than that it was just like li li little uh little moments really yeah um, yeah but it, it went like you know three hours and change it was, it was pretty brisk given how the structure is yeah you know especially because they didn't really have like the uh the playoff music and stuff like that one of the uh things i, I thought might happen was people kind of go on for a while but it, the fact that they ended i think around like 1104 sterling kane mm -hmm. brown announced the uh the winner of the best outstanding drama or outstanding drama was uh i was pretty impressed with that and i also was I also thought it was pretty funny how they basically had people at their homes to deliver these yeah. awards if they wanted to. And Rami uh, from the show, Rami, so Rami Youssef. Rami Youssef, yeah. He uh, had a really funny video of the person with the award, like waving and walking away after he lost. Uh, really made me laugh. So there were definitely some some funny moments. Um, you know, I think a couple of big takeaways from last night a lot of uh, actors of color, non-white actors, yeah. um, winning awards. I think we had seven black actors win awards last night. Uh, uh, if you overall, include the, over the uh, weekend, yeah, yeah, which is a new, a new, new high water mark. And uh, Maya Rudolph won uh, for best voice in an animated series, or I guess a guest voice in an animated series mm -hmm. for Big Mouth, where she plays the uh, hormone monster um for I, I forgot the the kid's name but really right. she just won that for the way that she says bubble bath which is uh i'm not even gonna attempt to say but <laughs> if you haven't heard it look it up um regina king won which i was expected. pumped about but yeah definitely chalk um i think even more exciting was her co-star yaya abdul mateen yeah. winning um also for watchmen and supporting actor in limited not series. jim parsons baby <laughs> i know well that that was the thing as we were looking through we were like ah who could Book win splitting. this <laughs> yeah exactly but uh, the awards went to the right place i would say so that was pretty awesome mm -hmm. um zendaya now that that was a, a moment and you know you tweeted about this last night and you talked about it in the pod last week too that category was stacked and for her to win be the youngest yeah. Uh, best actress in a drama series winner ever. Um, I mean, if you haven't bought Zendaya stock, I think it's too late because the price is too high at this point. It, the, the, this is Apple. This is Amazon. She's she's on a rocket ship to the moon. Yeah, and we'll get to see her on Netflix later this year. And Malcolm Marie, that uh, secret COVID movie, uh, Sam Levinson shot with her and John David Washington. Yeah, mm -hmm. Zendaya stock is just uh, pointed up. So, yep. But yeah, I mean. It, unexpected really really did not think that would happen and that's really cool because everyone agrees that she's the best and most essential part of euphoria so 
Oh, show does not work without her at all. Um, and just another surprise was supporting actress on a limited series or movie where we saw yeah. Uzo Aduba win yes. for Mrs. America. Yeah, no, that, that was awesome. Again, we also, we feared some vote splitting because she was there with two of her co-stars and, uh, Again, you know, her portrayal of Shirley Chisholm very essential to Mrs. America. You know, I w- w- wish we got more of her in the show, but that's just the way that show was structured, right? You get little moments with every every character. Um, that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, limited series actually spread around more than I thought, right? Unorthodox won one of the smaller awards. Yep. Um, so if you think about that, a lot of other shows win. Watchmen didn't get the full sweep, even if it won the Queen King and winning for limited series. It won what we expected to. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, it won for writing. Uh, Damon and Cord Jefferson won for episode uh, six, I think, the one where you learn about the origins of Foot of Justice, the best episode of the show. Yep. Um, that was, uh, that needed to happen, and they won. That was great. Totally. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of it went chalk, like, like we talked about, but, or like, like we've mentioned, but one that I was really happy went chalk, um, and I felt like I kind of needed to see was Jeremy Strong winning for Outstanding yes. Lead Actor in a Drama Series. Man, uh, his outfit that like off that like off gray or whatever it was I don't even know what what a yeah. vibe uh, wearing an ascot. So shout out <laughs> to him. Um, any any other moments or, or things that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, right? So I think a lot of like celebrity watchers are like, oh, this is really cool to see like behind the behind mm-hmm. the curtain into celebrities' homes. And I think something like Jesse Armstrong for Succession, he I think he was in a hotel or something, but. Yeah. Like just seeing people in their homes, or like you seeing Holland Taylor chilling with her girlfriend Sarah Paulson, you know, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just kind of cool to see like <laughs> how they're doing it, and it's of course just funny to see everyone like glammed up to be like in their house on Zoom, you know. But totally. for the most part, there weren't any technical difficulties, you know, um, and Pretty that's crazy. something I think everyone at this point uh, could t- t- totally see happening, right? Mm-hmm. But like the connections and the the quality of the speeches seem seem to work out well. Um, so, so I, I thought I thought I thought that was actually a an unexpected positive, uh, and yeah, uh, I think oh, oh one other moment in the beginning, uh, when they 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 did a bit with Jimmy and postal workers, and the postal worker was played by Anthony Kerrigan, who was doing basically his NoHo Hank impression mm. from uh, per- performance from Barry. That was quite <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, I mean Succession winning best drama that's what we expected right billy crudup winning best supporting for the morning show uh i think that was a little more unexpected people have remarked that he was definitely uh doing a lot on the morning show perhaps in a good way so that's cool (laughs) julia garner won again for ozark so there's some variety in drama of course in day who we mentioned but um yeah i mean other chalk stuff right rupaul john oliver Mm -hmm. all the major awards were chalk so I feel like the Emmys more often than not are predictable in this way. It's more yeah. about the nominations where we have the more interesting conversations and like trying to narrow down those fields. But alas, uh, I don't, I don't mind the, the total tallies. You have uh, HBO winning 30 awards. Netflix is 21, even though Netflix had more nominations. So HBO continues to hold it down. Uh, funny, mo- funny thing I started counting up was not everyone who was nominated was on zoom. Like is like on mm. the feed, right? And there's some people that like stand out, like you know they wouldn't bother, right? Michael Douglas, Alan Arkin, yeah, Meryl Streep, yep. Laura Dern. But I, I really laugh when I saw Jodie Comer, the incumbent winner of Best Actress in a Drama, is not even on Zoom to lose. Yep. <laughs> well, Jodie Comer is uh, 
is is a queen herself so we you know we 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 stand her here we like her oh, a lot one thing we have to, okay two things i'm talking about we got the new trailers <laughs> for wandavision from mm-hmm. disney plus which is now confirmed to be the first marvel show on disney plus coming out later this year we also saw the first look at small acts that uh anthology series from steve mcqueen coming on amazon in november mm-hmm. excited about both of those but also there was this thing on twitter where the new york post referred to zendaya's win as an upset because it was an upset she was not expected to win yet all these people zendaya stands and other people non-stands thought they meant upset as in people were pissed off that zendaya uh, won and no. there's just complete failure to understand the English language really frustrated me on Twitter. And these people not knowing what the word upset means. Like the New York Post, not, not a publication you need to defend usually. But like, <laughs> come on, people, do better. You know, uh, I wonder plus if it's 1, just... plus 1,000 to win. It's an upset. God damn it. I wonder if it's just that these, these new generations don't gamble enough, Dave. You know, they don't understand that there, there's odds and expected winners in these things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But... um that that's that's very 2020 right there for you i'd say so um the emmys like we said predictable but not always in a bad way so um why don't we move on to some music now though and talk about maybe some artists that aren't as predictable or maybe more predictable than we thought and we'll start with ava max the singer known for being uh basically having one huge hit with sweet but psycho um, and this this is a huge hit. Dropped in 2017, went number one in 22 countries across the world, including the UK, um, Australia, Germany. It got to number 10 on the US Billboard mm-hmm. charts. Um, never never got to number one here. But that was yeah. really like, I mean, she had dropped a couple of singles here and there, a couple of songs, but that, that was really like her coming out party, right? And then mm-hmm. it's been three years. We're finally getting the debut album from her. Expectations? probably fairly high going into this were your expectations met yeah um good question i would say no no they probably were not met because it's really hard to match something like sweet but psycho right Mm -hmm. that's it's nearing a billion plays because it's a really infectious catchy pop song that's really well made a chorus that uh just gets stuck in your ear right and we'll talk about a movie that used that in a drop later on. Like it, it's a hit for a reason. And when you have something so ubiquitous like that, and that being the one thing you're known for, because you kind of struggled to find a sound within the mainstream music industry before that song came out. Uh, people probably don't have an idea of what kind of artist you are still. They just know that song and they, they might not really even know it was by you. Right. So I think Ava Max had a lot to achieve with this new album. And I think you can probably tell with the, the lack of success in the States anyway, with those subsequent singles leading up to this album that she's still kind of finding a way to find that identity. And it's kind of interesting to see that she's a successful artist, quite successful artist in Europe, but just it really hasn't hit that much here, except in the case of Sweet But Psycho, which just couldn't be denied. But still, right. that took like over a year, basically, to become a big hit here. So, yeah, I mean, I think this album, I, I, I want it to be, I kind of have similar thoughts to Katy Perry. I wanted it to be weird. I wanted to try more. I, it felt kind of safe. It, it did feel a little bit safe. Um, you know, Heaven and Hell, uh, the, that's which is the title of the album. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. Um, is interesting because 
I think in a lot of ways, the, the theme kind of does hold throughout, you know, she refers back to it in a couple, a lot of the tracks even have like the words heaven or heaven or hell in them. But I almost feel like, um, I guess almost, I almost felt like she feels like an artist who might be more mature than her music lets on in a way. Like I felt like there were certain songs, like I thought naked or salt were songs that really stood out to me as like, this is a artist who seems to have vision, seems to have really something to say. And then there's songs like tattoo, which I was literally like this, this could have been written by like a 13 year old. Um, I thought it was really bad. And that's the thing is the album was just so consistent. It felt like she was trying to, she struggled almost with, wanting to make something in the same vein as charlie xcx obviously not up to that level but like kind of be weird and and poppy Mm -hmm. um but she kind of had this huge hit and was like well there's a formula here and i'm trying to recapture that and was kind of stuck in between it felt yeah she has this working relationship with this producer uh circuit i think so you say it c-i-r-k-u-t who's a disciple of dr luke so you can tell that they were trying to, yeah, probably fix that. I think the closest they got is probably Born to, Born to the Night in terms of trying to find that hit formula again. But yeah, to your point about some of the songs, there's some really cliche songwriting here, pop songwriting. It's yeah, just, totally. it, it, it's not, it's, it's lowbrow. Mm-hmm. And that's okay sometimes. But I actually think this album's a bit overproduced at times. Like, I feel like they touched her vocals a lot. Like, yeah. I, from what I can tell, she has a pretty good voice, but it, it, you don't almost get it all the time, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I also agree, Naked stood out to me, closest thing she has to a ballad on this. Yep. And like, like I said, there's some songs that are close to the, the banger status you get with Sweet But Psycho, but I think she's still kind of trying to find that identity. And like, she's been compared a lot to like fame era Lady Gaga, partially due to like her visual aesthetic and stuff, yep. but. She's not nearly as weird oh. as Gaga was, even at that time, even if Gaga still made a lot of conventional sounds for what 2009 pop music on the radio was, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, and she doesn't need to have like superstar success here in the States. Look at someone like Carly Rae Jepsen, who is not a chart presence really at all, but has a lot of fans and makes good music. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a problem. Even Charlie, XCX for the most part, isn't a chart, chart force, but yep. I think she's still kind of finding that identity. And I mean, that, when, when you have a song with Sweet But Psycho giving you uh, residuals, I guess you can take that time. It's all right. But yeah, I, I kind of wanted more from this. Yeah, but I think for a debut album, like to have even a couple songs that uh, can, you, we're, we're, we're talking about as being songs that we thought were pretty good, had a good sound. Um, I also thought, um, oh my God, like what happened or whatever what that song title was, was kind of interesting just in terms of like, concept you know oh my god what's happening yeah what's happening especially she has like that like spoken word like breakdown which is kind of like an interesting Mm -hmm. performance but yeah uh i think this leaves a little bit to be desired but i don't know still still some good stuff we're gonna add uh naked to our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist so follow that on spotify let's move on to a uh, another debut album dave although um, this is an artist who also has one enormous hit. That's Lil Tecca with Ransom. Um, his new album, Virgo World, you know, a song like Ransom is really, really good. And you can like see the talent. 
but Virgo World just felt so uninspired. I, yeah, I, especially for a debut, I was really let down. Were you feeling the same? Oh, major letdown, major letdown. Uh, well, Tekka dropped We Love You, Tekka, his debut mixtape about a year ago at this point. Ransom was on that, there, but there are also a handful of cu- album cuts or mixtape cuts on there, right? He had a mm-hmm. Shots and Did It Again, which, uh, and Love Me, right? Songs that are kind of in that ransom formula where you have Lil Tekka, this little nerdy kid with braces from New York who just has that melodic sound down. Yep. You know, he has that A-boogie shit going. And he just has this earworm melodic quality to get shit stuck in your ear. And of course, Ransom was a huge hit because of that, that quali- those qualities. And yet, on Virgo World, and, and I should say, that mixtape also was probably a bit of a letdown too. Like it, it was weak. And I hearing now hearing Virgo World, I think Lil Tech at this point is just a singles artist because on both projects now, he has demonstrated that he can't escape being really repetitive with his songs when he has puts out a lot of them at once. And that's disappointing to me because, as you said, you can see the talent and we've already achieved such highs for a kid who's, what, 17? Like, yeah. Um, but Virgo Worlds... I was I was really let down. I, I think this. I mean, it, I don't think there's one song on Virgo World that people will like as much as those four songs I just mentioned off "We Love You, Tekka. Oh. and that's not good because <laughs> shelf life oh, in shelf life in hip hop can be fast. Yeah, that's you true. Know? Yep. So people will stop really tuning in and giving a shit what you put out if you don't feed the streets. And I. I I'm not a loss. I, I'm really surprised. That I, I really, it was just lame. I, I really like how your take is there's no good songs and that's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think <laughs> definitely not good. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of, a couple of songs I think. Yeah, actually, I went to, there's no good songs. There's some moments I like, but it's but just, just a major letdown due to the standard. We had right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm mischaracterizing your quote for sure. But um, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of, of, songs that stood out to me um i guess miss me i liked quite a bit i i kind of thought like he got that melodic like um the more a little more like island sound it's like a fun song you know which i kind of liked so that i wrote down island beat he did yeah (laughs) he also had that on insecurities yeah it's like like, okay i can see you you can kind of ride this this sounds pretty cool do this more often this actually stands out a little bit yeah, you, you know you know that chance song where he's like, oh no, it's um it's favorite song off um call or uh, acid rap acid rap. Thank you. Uh, that that has like a the same vibe to me. So I think that's sure. kind of why I liked Miss Me. Um, I don't know a couple of the ones in the second half I actually thought weren't too bad. Um, Last call, I thought was okay. Out of Love was like, you know, uh, I thought mm-hmm. him and Internet Money had a decent back and forth. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. This is kind of how I just felt throughout the whole album. I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. And you, you know what's so weird to me too is Internet Money, which is the the collective that he's a, a part of. Nick Mira, the producer, has uh, a big big role in Tekka's rise as well as other people at Juice Worlds. Uh, the best Tekka song I heard this year, J Lo, is on that Internet Money album from a few weeks back, and it's not on this. Mm-hmm. That song is better and stickier and has those Tekka qualities you like in a much stronger way than anything on Virgo world. And that's just perplexing that he gave that song away. He could have given one of these away instead, you know? Um, 
I will say I like Dolly a lot. Dolly is notable because that's actually a repurposed uh, Uzi leak from 2018. Mm, okay. And, you know, when I first heard it before I realized it, it was a song that had been out in some form. I was like, oh, this is like a classic Uzi flow. This is this this feels a little older than I realized. Oh, it's because it is older. Interesting. Um, but I actually thought uh, Tekka's probably my favorite bars from Tekka are on this uh, from the whole Virgo, all Virgo world. I just seen the feds lay low. I got the bullets halo. She want to come fuck. She won't say no. Yep. If you want a feature, come and pay though. I was like, okay, okay, Tekka. Like, you spin. We yeah, see that I here. See that. I respect that. <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. But like, then I have I listen to a song like Selection, which has actually like notable production from Skrillex and DJ Scheme. And yet sure. Tekka's just doing like go best friend, go best friend the whole time. Like, <laughs> like what, 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 are we, what are we doing here? You kind of wasted that beat, my guy. Yeah. Um, well. You know. I don't know. This 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 was this was a major letdown. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of funny because I think both of these artists were uh, had a lot of expectation going into these albums, and really just the vision or the the I don't know inspiration wasn't there for them for some reason. So I'm hoping yeah. both of them can kind of find it back. Like you said, for Tekka, that industry can move quick, and I mean Ava Max we very easily could be a one-hit wonder in a lot of ways you know yes. so both these artists are you know kind of having to find their ground moving forward dave what song are we going to add to the playlist from tekka any of them i'd say dolly dolly all okay, right well, I, uzi brings it on that that's half the battle <laughs> half the song isn't tekka <laughs> well that, that that's going to do it for music today and we're going to continue on to something else that i think is a bit disappointing and that's ratchet on Netflix from Ryan Murphy. It's um, keep coming today, my guy. I know this, you know, we, we started talking about the Emmys, which I thought was actually pretty good. And uh, the rest of this pod, well, I don't know how high we are on all this stuff. So we'll, we'll see, but Ryan Murphy, I mean, I, we just talked about him with Hollywood, which Jim Parsons was nominated for Emmy for, which is really funny because that that performance was something but shot jeremy pope getting nominated though yes for sure that that was a well-deserved nomination um but we've been talking about ryan murphy a lot uh mm-hmm. he signed that deal with netflix and he has been pumping out the content i think so that that's my question to you we are getting quantity from ryan murphy no doubt about that with that netflix deal is that enough for netflix because every show he puts out Every season, Politician Season 2 came out this year as well. Every show seems to be number one on Netflix for at least that weekend, usually more. And I don't know what the fuck that means, honestly. Exactly. <laughs> but people seem to watch his shit. Is that enough for Netflix? The only thing, we can't answer that, though, because the only people that know the answer to that is Netflix. You know, they don't tell yeah. us this shit. So I wonder is if shows that get mixed reception consistently but get eyeballs, is that enough? Or do they just get eyeballs because they're on Netflix and that's that's it? You know, like we, the Netflix effect is real with Chits Creek and Karate, uh-huh. uh, Cobra Kai. Shows that aren't from Netflix but then go to Netflix become hits because they're on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Does that well, benefit the, Netflix, you know? Yeah, shows that were, were good but just on channels that people weren't able to watch them is kind of what you just mm-hmm. named. Um, you know, like who had YouTube TV or had a subscription to YouTube where they could watch yeah. Cobra Kai. Then it gets on Netflix, which everybody has. It's like, oh, this show rules. You know, we heard Cobra Kai was good two years ago. Yes. Um, I I would lean more towards your second hypothesis, which is 
Netflix needs this deal to be good for them because they kind of keep doing what all these other channels are doing. They're hiring creators and uh, to give Ryan Murphy all this money and then have everything he puts out, you know, not make the top 10 would look really bad for them. I'd say. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and also probably really bad for them in terms of getting more creators down the line, because if, if they're actually like, now nah, this show is buttons, dude, I'm not going to, we're not going to put this on our top 10. Then other creators are going to feel a little bit less yeah. likely to probably they want their shit to be watched. Exactly. So, um, I think this is the case, especially for Ratchet. I think the politician and even Hollywood, Hollywood probably is more deserved to be in that top 10 politician. I think there's moments that are good. Yeah. I, I didn't see much redeemable stuff with this. Yeah, this uh, is clearly the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I, I've only watched, I actually got through three episodes and I think you only got through one or two. Um, but it was a tough watch and not super engaging. I think what I found different about Ratchet than most of the other shows um, ratchet similar to hollywood is a period piece takes place uh back in the 40s yeah post-war yeah late Again, 40s like early hollywood. 50s um and it follows a uh, nurse ratchet played by sarah paulson who is kind of uh try she's up to something we'll put it that way you know she's working her way into this mental hospital seems like she's trying to help out this uh person that murdered a bunch of priests Finn, um, Finn Whitrock's character yes and um you know you have a couple of very famous people popping up in side roles you have Corey Stoll um Sex and the City person uh Cynthia Nixon Cynthia Nixon thank you I was gonna say Annie Annie Lennox which is St. <laughs> Vincent so definitely not the right person um no that's Annie Clark Saint Annie Vincent. Clark you're right <laughs> Annie Lennox is walking on broken glass geez um so yeah, I mean, there's some interesting stuff going on, but I think a lot of the Ryan Murphy stuff, you have these moments of levity, these really funny moments. Um, you know, you think about Hollywood and how, like, dumb the main character was at times and how he was kind of like, right. being taken for a ride a lot, and that was, like, it made yeah. the show kind of light and funny. Or Dylan McDermott's um, presence the whole time. As exactly. Scotty Bauer's standing. Yep. So good. Um, you think about the politician and just the absurdity and ridiculousness. Like, Gwyneth Paltrow, especially in the second season, is all just one huge bit the whole time. Yes. There's not much of that in this. And Ratchet ends up being a little bit more uh, American Horror Story, I'd say, than Glee, which I think Ryan Murphy's other uh, Netflix shows have kind of leaned a little bit more towards. So I don't know. I I didn't find it super enjoyable, and I also don't find it super intriguing. Um, How are you feeling about the show in general, Don? We're talking quite a bit. I mean, it has a lot of his hallmarks, right? style over substance lacking mm-hmm. subtlety uh totally. a wide-ranging cast of characters usually played by people he's worked with before you know mm-hmm. i think it's notable is that uh uh murphy didn't actually develop this show this was uh made by evan romansky and netflix won a bidding war with hulu and apple for this and then once netflix won that bidding war murphy got involved and helped uh get this made and he did shoot the the pilot um he also helped secure the rights to this because this is a prequel to one flew over the cuckoo's nest and of course nurse ratchet is the villain of that movie and novel and play and that kind of speaks to the whole necessity of this whole show like we (laughs) we just got a perry mason reboot right something Mm -hmm. from 
decades prior that anyone who's watching it probably has no connection to. But Perry Mason, at least, is kind of operating at a different level and is just a much better show. Ratchet is trying to give an origin story to a famous villain literally like it she's in like the top five on that classic afi villains list like a classic movie villain that won best actress right we didn't need an origin story to that there was no questions about that presence and what it meant it was more about like uh the corruption of like institution and like bureaucracy and stuff right and like one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that's one of three movies to sweep the big five at the Oscars, right? Pretty sure it's a, it's a closed case. We don't need to go back to this text. And yet sure the desi- desire for e- IP got an origin story for Nurse Ratchet May. Like, it's just so weird. And then yet you watch the show and it does, gives you no reason to be okay with something like this. Right. Like, I think of, um, it, it has been referenced a lot around the talk about Ratchet is, the show Bates Motel, which is a prequel oh, yeah. to Psycho. And people actually liked how that show ended. And that helped, you know, at least justify its existence, as we are often say. But this show Ratchet, which, by the way, is getting a season two. It was ordered for two seasons. It, it doesn't, like, rise above anything, right? It just kind of gives you all those cliches you associate with Ryan Murphy, but isn't doing anything cool or exciting enough to, I feel like, justify the time investment. Yeah. Uh, are you sure one flew over the over the cuckoo's nest is good? Are we sure about that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, Ryan Murphy at this point, I mean, like you said, this isn't maybe one of his original concepts, but I'm 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 pretty much selling all my stock in him. I think, uh, you know, for the for the the, the nip tucks or the glees or the you know, the, yeah, it's you don't get. I think as much bang for your buck with him as, as you want. And um, I, I just, I'm not probably not going to finish this to be completely honest. I got three episodes in, I think I'm out. I'm um, but if, uh, if you really enjoy ratchet or if you think we should go back to it, drop a comment, uh, let us know why maybe you can convince us because um, we, we do watch a lot of TV. So we, uh, we, we can try to make time if we get enough <laughs> feedback, but for everything I'm seeing too, is that this is a show that's being critically panned and, I think the the Murphy Netflix relationship is gaining a little bit of uh, ire. So, at least we'll he's see. working though. Hey, I give, I give him that. He's Keep cranking out checks. cranking out shows. Uh, Absolutely. Have we seen the Sh- a Shonda Rhimes show for Netflix yet? No. Have we seen a Benny Off and Weiss show? No. Not at least he's yet. working. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Netflix also did give us a new movie this past week, Dave, with a. A stacked, stacked cast. And that movie was Antonio Campos's The Devil All the Time, which is an adaptation of Donald Ray Pollock's book of the same name. And Pollock actually is the narrator in this uh, pretty cool. Um, interesting to note, Jake Gyllenhaal produced this or was a producer on this, which huh. is kind of funny because uh, Dave's background picture is Robert Pattinson. I feel like... Uh, if Pattinson wasn't the preacher, Jake Gyllenhaal could have played that preacher really well. Um, Absolutely. But uh, we'll, we'll get to Pattinson in a second. Uh, I guess to just describe the plot of this is it, it, there's a lot of plot, but basically the idea is um, there's a small town and 
um what is it mississippi or don't we start in like west virginia area yeah i I think so it's like southern ohio midwest southern border yeah it's ohio it feels mississippi to me but it's ohio back in 1945 um you have bill skarsgård playing uh a father to a young son i guess he's not a father yet we meet him yeah yeah comes back has quite a bit of trauma gets married has a son um very religious man um and kind of i think that that seems to be at the center of it is like religion and as a corrupting force yeah people and really i guess like just summarize as briefly as we can um bill skarsgård commits uh seems like or has his wife die um very distraught by that starts to kind of lose his mind uh alvin uh no it's arvin i'm sorry Mm -hmm. um played by tom holland eventually but witnesses these travesties Mm -hmm. and arvin then experiences a series of other tragedies throughout his life and then seeks vengeance that's as uh, succinct as i can be with it um i really enjoyed this film um interesting it's not not a fun watch but i thought for a movie that has some really heartbreaking and disgusting moments in in a Mm. lot of ways um i actually really like tom holland in this and i feel like for me me i'm it was nice to see him not playing spider-man not playing you know the happy-go-lucky type character so um i really enjoyed that switch up but I, i know you weren't as high on this movie as i was yeah, I mean, it, it, it is dark. It is cold. And I, I think part of it for me is that Bill Skarsgård uh, stuff kind of serves as like a prologue for the plot, but it's a 45-minute prologue. Yeah. You know, like we don't get Pattinson or even Holland until a substantial part of the movie has happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, for me... I think if you had, they had tweaked this script in a few ways, I would have liked it a lot more. Um, I think part of the weakness with the script is there's an over-reliance on narration. Narration mm-hmm. just communicating things to us about the characters because they didn't write lines or frame the story in a way that the characters could tell us that themselves. Didn't like that at all. Um, but for me, it was the stuff with Jason Clark and Riley Keough. They're yeah. like serial murdering couple. Everything uh, about them in their first like three scenes just felt completely superfluous and unnecessary to the actual like story we're watching, and of course they get brought back at the brought back into the main fold at the end in terms of like the brother character Sebastian Stan plays, and then of course Holland. That happens at the end, but like everything else in the beginning, I just they just felt like a big distraction, like kind of like a pain point in the script to me. Uh-huh. Um, but once we got Holland, uh, I liked it a lot more and I liked his stuff. And, you know, yeah. think, as you said, with, you know, Tom Holland, he's still a young man, but most of his time has been occupied by playing Spider-Man. And we've got a few moments, right? You got Lost City of Z. Mm-hmm. You got uh, his voice work in Onward, which came yeah. out earlier this year. Oh, we know, we know Cherry's. Yeah, <laughs> right before the pandemic. And we know Cherry's coming out next year with the Russo brothers and Uncharted was uh, about to shoot. Uh, it was like a few days in the production when pandemic started. But Holland, this is probably his best best performance to date, uh, live action anyway. Like I really liked him in Onward, but that's voice work. 
Um, yeah. I think this is one of Tom Holland's best performances. And even like just basic stuff, like I loved watching him beat the shit out of those three dudes from yep. the school, you know? Um, but he, I, I thought he actually kind of carried that vengeance in mm-hmm. a convincing way. And uh, I, like, I liked it a lot, you know? Um, I think Liza Scanlon, though, I think she's better in Baby Teeth over this year. I think Pattinson was better in Tenet. You know, it's like, it's not yeah. really anyone else's best work you've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Um, funny to note that Jason Clark has some issues with his uh, spouse, Shocker. Um, that's, that, that's he, his, he gets that's cucked his every movie, dude. Yeah, he, he looked- wasn't actually cucked this one, but it was like, it wasn't just a solid relationship, right? He had some issues still. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it was like, if you had to like label it, I guess it's not technically cucking if you're killing people too. But I mean, he watched people have sex with his wife first. That's oh, actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, fuck, man. He I just can't believe this keeps happening. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I was just started cracking up when I said I figured out like what their whole thing was. It was uh, pretty ridiculous. You know, I know this isn't anyone else's like best work, but. I really liked Bill Skarsgård too, even though that first 45 minutes definitely could have been chopped down. Like you kind of got the point of like who that character was in the first like 10 minutes and they stretched it out for like 15 more. Um, I thought he was pretty good. And, you know, especially because we've, we haven't seen a lot of him outside of like it. And I think there was one other movie. I, um, villains. I really liked him villains, in Villains right. last year, which was a underseen movie with Mike Monroe. He's quite good in that, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. He, he's most well known for being Pennywise. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Jason Clark and Sebastian Stan, uh, solid, solid character actors at this point who have had their moments. But I, I don't think either one of them is like popped as like a traditional like star. You know, like they're no, probably always going to be on the BC list. Um, Scanlon, like you said, Baby Teeth. But that was a great role in a great movie. We really enjoyed that. Go check out that review. Like you said. Pattinson and Tennant, and Pattinson's just been on a heater. I mean, yeah, like, taking these weird roles. Is it, this I is loved... like this is like solid like B tier Pattinson, which just speaks to how hot he's been for the last six years. Yeah, the, this actually reminded me more of Pattinson in uh, last year's The King with Chalamet. Sure. Um, yes, because he plays that really weird French guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, and he's really weird in this, and weird mm-hmm. just despicable just scenery. Yep, and that that scene when Holland comes to kill him, and like they're going back and forth, like that that moment was so tense, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. And that, you know, you were talking about the script, and I think that's actually a really good point because I feel like all the stuff with Sebastian Stan and all the stuff with Jason Clark and Riley Keough you could have even just been cut out in a way. Yeah, like just definitely. make the movie about you know Arvin you know getting vengeance for his family against this church which has done them wrong throughout the mm-hmm. years um but you know i'm sure that there's a bigger meaning to it that maybe i'm missing with clark and keo and sebastian stan just kind of representing the the evilness of this town um do you do you think this is like a movie that could have a sequel down the line because it, it kind of felt like it was uh left open-ended at the end a uh. bit with him kind of you know, getting away from the town, but I, I, I mean, I there's not a whole lot of history for movies as bleak getting sequels. You know, I, <laughs> true. I, I mean, Sicario got a sequel that immediately came to mind. Like, apart from horror movies, like I don't know, it's a good question. You know, I'm curious what how this compares to its book counterpart. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
Yeah, I, I would probably bet against that, but I'm just uh, like I'm, I don't know. Is anyone dying to be back with uh, Arvin, Arvin again? Like I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, this is such a bleak movie. I probably it probably won't be, but eh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Holland doing more stuff like this. Oh, no doubt about that. For sure. I'm I'm curious to see what what Cherry's like. You know, that's uh, yeah. I believe that's a really and the source material I believe is like really violent in that really dark as well. So but he's as reuniting with the Russos. So that'll be interesting. Um, and also he'll get to be a leading man, of course, in uncharted. So um, just him being his normal charming self, but not being Peter Parker is also welcome. So yeah, we like Tom Holland. So this, this was, you know, just getting this in the CV. This kind of reminds me of uh, what, Rob started doing after Twilight, right? Just kind of taking weird roles, not always the lead in this case you are, but like just kind of just getting those reps up and doing kind of different stuff. So yeah, good stuff. Moving on though to uh, a bit, I'm going to guess this is a more upbeat movie, but you saw it in theaters, Dave. So I have not been able to see this broken hearts gallery. Um, Correct. Yeah. This is a rom-com Dave. Are you a big rom-com fan? I like good rom-coms. I love Set It one? Up on Netflix. Set It Up is so fucking good. I've watched that multiple times. I don't really rewatch shit. Doesn't um, it have that, that pizza scene that everybody said was like yeah. the scene of, the, scene of that year? Zoe Deutsch and uh, Glenn Powell. Pretty yes. Um, now, to all the boys I loved before, when it's more teen <laughs> rom-com, we out on that. You can watch our review of To All the Boys too. Uh, that movie sucked. But <laughs> Broken Hearts Gallery, um, you know, on, on its face, it's a conventional, conventional rom-com. It doesn't do anything that surprising. There are, there are some tried and true beats to romantic comedies. But I think they're beats for a reason. Because when done well, they work and the movie succeeds. And I think the Broken Hearts Gallery uh, does just that. And I did see this in the theaters. Uh, I happen to be the only person there. Uh, yeah. The privilege of living close to a theater means I can make those last minute decisions. So when I saw no one was going and knowing that no one had really been going to this movie, it's made a modest like million, almost $2 million about that. Like it's not, no one's going to see this movie in the theaters. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I can see this by myself, I'll feel safe enough. Right. Yeah. Like, so and that's what I did. So, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time. You know, I think uh, it, it more than anything, it's a, it's a showcase for uh, its lead which is played by Geraldine uh, Viswanathan, who everyone knows from Blockers, and she had a role in Bad Education earlier this year as mm-hmm. well. Be- and, you know, she's just a really charismatic performer. Uh, you know, just a rising star. She's, she's really good. And uh, her, her foil in this, you know, the, her, her love interest as the rom-com, well, obviously would made, lead you believe as soon as you meet him, is played by Dacre Montgomery, who uh, was in Power Rangers, but everyone probably knows him from Stranger <laughs> Things Season 2, who plays Billy. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about him in this was that he was actually kind of playing off type. He was not playing like the jock character or like the douche or the bad guy. He was just kind of actually being this more like understated, like kind of like complicated soul character. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of cool to see that from Dacre because I think his most you know popular role so far hasn't been that. And yeah. I, I, I liked his char- chemistry with Geraldine. Um, and yeah, I mean, the name, the Broken Hearts Gallery, it's about uh, Geraldine's character. Uh, what's her name? 
uh, I forget her name. I did not write it down. Uh, but <laughs> Geraldine's Lucy. character, Lucy, she keeps these like souvenirs of past relationships because she can't actually let go of like those moments in her lives. So she has like all these little like trinkets and pieces of junk from her exes and stuff. And uh, after meeting uh, Dacre's character, she ends up making this kind of like art gallery piece where she like puts on display this and it's a for her form of like release and like letting go and moving on. And then she blasts this to the world via social media and other people started doing the same. And it's like this very cathartic exercise. Mm. Meanwhile, the rest of the movie has all the rom-com beats as she's going up and down with her own life. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like one of those cute rom-coms. And I think it works really well. And I think this is a movie that would be very, very successful on streaming when that eventually gets there. Um, you know, uh, remains mm-hmm. to be seen if this will just go to VOD first or if there's a, there's a deal lined up. I don't know about that yet, but um, I think once people get to see this, uh, I think this will be well-liked. Um, I also liked in a, in a small part, one of uh, Lucy's uh, friends and roommates is played by Philip Sue of Hamilton oh, fame. Yeah. And there's this really funny moment when uh, those two and their other uh, friend go to do karaoke and they sing Ava Max's Sweet But Psycho, among other songs. And it's just hilarious to see Philip Sue not, like, being a world-class singer and, like, actually, like, toning down her own vocals to just fit in and be a drunk girl doing karaoke, That's funny. you know? It's, like, really hilarious, like, little meta moment, if you know who, who <laughs> Philip is. Yeah. Um, and this was shot in Toronto, but it's supposed to be New York City. And I thought, actually, Toronto stood in pretty well. It, it, it did kind of hmm. give, you, give me New York vibes, even though it wasn't shot there at all. So, yeah, I mean, if you like rom-coms, I think you like this movie. And Geraldine's awesome. So, good stuff. The rom-com stamp of approval from Dave. That that, that says a lot, folks. So, if you can see this (laughs) safely, go see it. Or if you have to wait till it goes on. uh, No shame in waiting. It'll be there soon. Yeah. Uh, Especially because some places you cannot see it right now. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, Dave, I think that's going to do it for this week. But we got a lot of music to listen to for next week, right? Yes, so we got the first two episodes of Fargo, season four. Hell yeah. FX on Hulu, FX Sunday night, Hulu the next morning. Chris Rock, the lead. Very excited about that. And we also have Enola Holmes, film on Netflix, starring Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill. After that, we have a lot of notable music releases. Joji's new album, Nectar. Sylvan Esso, Two Chains, Action Bronson. Machine Gun Kelly, uh, Fleet Foxes, by the time you listen to this, will have already dropped. And also Spillage Village, which is the rap super group with Jid and Earth Gang and other Atlanta okay. rappers. So uh, a, a, lot, a lot to listen to, and I'm, I'm intrigued to hear most of that. So we'll be getting back to you on those. Yeah, Dave, uh, I would save uh, Sylvanesso and Fleet, Fleet Foxes for a... Uh... bedtime for you i'd say it's probably gonna put you (laughs) to sleep i'd imagine but uh folks if you're still listening and you haven't subscribed yet what are you doing soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod youtube.com slash nostalgia pod nostalgia best of 2020 on spotify and also at nostalgia pod on twitter wear a mask we'll see you next week (laughs) 